From Hong Kong, Chicago, and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 78. Uh, oh, God, I've gone wrong already. Um, Wait, Ricardo's not in Hong Kong? He's not. No, that's, that's really confusing, isn't it? Um, yeah, because we haven't got Perry with us, so where, where are you, Ricardo? I'm actually in Florida. Florida. Ooh. Okay, let's let's. Where, whereabouts in the sunny sunshine state? Uh, around uh, Fort Lauderdale and Boca Raton. So. Oh, that that dude, say that, Simon. It sounds it sounds really. Well, you can add it. You can add it after Stoke on Trent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boca Raton. <laughs> okay, um, I can't remember what was the second place. Fort Lauderdale and where? Boca Raton. B O C A. <laughs> Yeah, make him say that uh, because it's going to be more Bo- difficult. Boca Raton. Yes. Bo- you're you're in a place called Boca. Exactly. <laughs> we like to call it Oofta Raton around these parts. <laughs> yeah, you could say Boca Raton. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I think we'll just keep this as it, as, as it is. So uh, Yeah, let's just start talking. Yeah, yeah. How's everybody doing? Hey, good morning. It's kind of rainy here in Chicago. It's gray and it's about to rain. So no sun today. Um, all the raspberries have been picked. So I have a, another couple of pints of raspberries ready to go. So today will be jam making day. So the pie has been eaten. The pie is gone. But I have uh, I will be making raspberry jam today. And I have an I have an excellent excellent batch of of ginger beer uh, that I'm finishing up right now. 2019 <laughs> was a good year for ginger beer, wasn't it? Yes, at least this past week of 2019 was. <laughs> good vintage. Yeah, good good vintage exactly. All right, well, um, trying to get things back on track. Uh, we have Ricardo Bayon. Uh, with us. Um, hello, Ricardo. How are you doing? Thank you. Hi, Simon. I'm doing well. Good. Good. Um, okay. Uh, my notes have gone completely out of the window for the second week. Really. <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm going to start off by saying um, well, saying thanks to Isabel Cuades, uh for being with us last week, and not only just giving us a, a, a great entertaining show, but we've actually had more feedback from that show uh, and yeah. I've had positive feedback uh, from, from that show. That, well, uh, mostly I mean, positive yeah. feedback. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody may beg to differ oh. on the feedback from that show. Oh, right. So are, we, are we talking about fren- frenemy of the show Ricardo <laughs> Bayon of Best Vintage Lens by any chance? Maybe. Well, well. Oh come on, Johnny! I was—I I thought the show was brilliant. No, I know you said—you said so, and you had some—you had some very insightful comments, which I think you may want to. We could go revisit them. I mean, that would be a good way to get things going today, don't you think? I, I was just so thoroughly impressed with how she had <laughs> had you guys eating from the palm of her hand. It was—it was, it was a brilliant thing to watch. I mean, to get you, Johnny, to say. Yeah, uh, film is basically crap, and we should all <laughs> to get Perry to say, "Yeah, bokeh shots of flowers that you are, where almost nothing is in focus are just so wonderful." I need to shoot artistic film, artistic shots, and you know, forget cheap lenses. 
I want to shoot with broken lenses that cost <laughs> nothing that I can get for free. <laughs> that was so wonderful to watch. No, it was a, it was a it was a fantastic show, and uh, yeah, um, yeah but uh, but we have. Um, as people, regular listeners to the show will, will have realised that uh, Perry, hello Perry um, Perry is travelling at the moment and he, he can't be with us and so we've, we've asked Ricardo to uh, take, take the third seat uh, with us this week uh, because we're going to do something of a, a, a catch up show uh, because we've had quite a few emails come in and we just haven't really got round to doing them so uh, we've got a, plenty of emails and questions plus we've also invited more people to uh, drop some more questions while we're at it but before we get on to that um, I think it'd be good to just have a little bit of a, a, a catch up with Ricardo um, and, yeah. and perhaps if you can just uh, give people a little bit of a uh, reminder because uh, there, may, there may be some people listening now that weren't here or uh, weren't listening back in October uh, last year at uh, episode 40 I think it was so um, perhaps you, so you might want to just give a little bit of a, a rundown of what you're up to and uh, tell us what you've been doing other than pointing out every single error of the Classic Lenses podcast on the uh, best vintage lens ever, <laughs> ever since that we were here last. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Hey, guys, I only do it because I love you, right? You know, you know that, right? That's what that, my right? dad used to say right before he beat me. <laughs> I'm sure you deserved every... <laughs> I did, always. <laughs> no, um, uh, so basically... We have the, the feed, Best Vintage Lens, um, but after coming on your show, which was way back when, um, uh, I did get uh, into film shooting a little bit, um, thanks to Johnny and, and you, Simon. Um, so I did actually buy a Canon P at Johnny's recommendation. Wow. Um, yeah, so. it, was, it certainly wasn't at mine, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no. And how did that work out for you? <laughs> oh, my God. It's a lovely camera, I must say. You are okay. absolutely right about the Canon P. I, I adore it. I think it's one of my favorite uh, film cameras. Um, and so I did shoot with it, and, uh, and I actually got it with a, a Canon LTM 51.4. Um, which has since become, wait for it, my all-time favorite lens wow. <laughs> to, use, to use on digital um, wow. because I love the way it renders on digital. Um, I did shoot a bunch of rolls of film. You know, I shot some Tri-X and T-Max and uh, Ilford. Um, uh, but I realized that, you know, I, I, I totally agree with Isabel that, that it started taking away time between the developing and the scanning, taking away time from me just shooting. Um, so I think I will reserve film shooting for very special occasions and, and still shoot mostly digital. So that's one thing I've been up to. So, you know, just to give you a sense of who I am and where I come from, uh, my father um, was uh, worked for Kodak. So I grew up uh, with cameras and photography all throughout my life. And, you know, in, in typical fashion, as a, as, a, as a young man, I kind of rebelled and didn't really shoot photos just, you know, every once in a while, but never told my dad. Uh, uh, and then uh, later on, I picked up a camera again and just fell deeply and madly in love and uh, uh, shoot... shoot uh, 
mostly digital. I think part of my problem was actually way back when the whole process of, of shooting film and either getting it developed or developing it and then dealing with the negatives. And I'm just a very disorganized kind of person. So archiving all of that and putting it in the right place. And, you know, I just ended up not doing as much uh, photography as I would have liked. But then with the advent of digital, where all of those things seem to be a whole lot easier and a whole lot faster, and I could just do my, have my computer archive and do everything, I started getting much more into uh, into photography. Um, I shot mostly, and still shoot mostly, macro shots, though. Um, since I got into vintage lenses, I've started really enjoying portrait photography, so and street photography as well, to some degree, though I'm not very good at it. So that is a, a, a sort of brief recap of where I come from. Um, but uh, a little while ago, I got into uh, vintage lenses, I'd say maybe three years ago, um, and just fell so head over heels in love with the, with the way vintage lenses render and the beauty of it and the imperfection of it, but you know, just how, how wonderfully they took photos that... Um, with some friends, we started up an Instagram uh, feed where we basically asked people to submit photos taken with uh, vintage lenses, and we defined that as anything from before uh, 1990. And we basically just pick and select uh, the ones uh, that we like best or that we think illustrate something that vintage lenses can do, and we feature three a day and have been doing so for yeah, a little more than two years, um, uh, and and so there's a really interesting collection of shots taken uh, with vintage lenses from all over the world there in Best Vintage Lens, and every once in a while we we write reviews and, and provide some helpful uh, criticism for the folks here at the Classic Lenses podcast. <laughs> It's been been said by many people, including ourselves, that uh, your your summaries of our shows are actually usually better than the uh, the, the shows themselves. Yeah, um, definitely. So, never, uh, never. <laughs> it, it, it's it's particularly interesting though because you you do get to the heart of things. But see, I mean, when you when you oh, when you're actually recording the show, there's plenty of times where you misspeak. And you don't even know you've misspoken, and, and perhaps you know Johnny or Penny might point point out an error or something like that. But generally speaking, things just 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 flow, um, and you know. So we do make errors, and you and you you are you do helpfully um, point out those errors uh, for us. Thank you. Um, yeah. But uh, the other, I, I really point out errors. I think I I just you know try to try to be a little bit funny and 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 push things. Uh, <laughs> farther than they need to go yeah. uh, to just sort of say, point out uh, slight inconsistencies or... Uh, <laughs> slight inconsistencies? We're full of glaring inconsistencies here. Don't don't sell us short, Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> but but the, the, the other side of it, though, is that you do come out with some insights, which uh, it, 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 you, I think that you 
really do crystallise what actually goes on in the show sometimes in a way where I'm reading it. I'm thinking, oh, that's just so right. You know, I'm thinking, I was there, I was recording it, and I just didn't see it in that way. And and you do crystallise the views of and, and thoughts, of, I think, of many people. So I think you do a, a, a great job of cutting through um, the BS sometimes to, to, to get to the heart of the matter. So I, I, it's it's always a good always a good read. Oh, thank you, thank you. Right. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Okay. So, what we're going to do now? Uh, we've got loads of questions. Uh, so, I'm going to hand over to my friend in Chicago, um, who's going to read them out, and we're going to do our best to answer them. Now, uh, these go back at least to early July, but we have a sneaky feeling that there may be more questions that we might not have captured. Um, yeah. So if anybody has any questions that have been submitted to us that we don't cover today, um, if they if you submitted them before July, uh, then chances are we've lost them. So if you if you if you still want us to answer uh, your questions, uh, then just just get in touch with us again and uh, just resubmit them again to uh, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. So uh, over to you, Johnny. All right. <clears throat> so we will start with uh, Jamie Bloomquist, who is 120 plastic on Instagram. Uh, and I, this may have been sent via Instagram. Now it's probably sent via email. Okay. Anyway, Jamie Bloomquist. Greetings, podcasters. I mount vintage lenses on my Sony A7 II and see a range of prices between adapter brands. Any insights on the differences between a $15 Photasi and a $30 Photodiox adapter for the same mount? Uh, is it all about adapter build quality or am I losing out on image quality by using a cheap, cheaper mount? Thank you. Right. Um, well, Simon, had, Simon yeah. is our resident adapter guy, so... Yeah, so seeing that I sell le uh, lens adapters, I'll, I'll, I'll go first on this, this one. Um, and uh, the the short answer is yes, there is a difference between a, a cheap adapter and, a, and an expensive adapter. Um, the only thing is there's a huge grey area in between and it doesn't necessarily follow that an expensive adapter is going to do a particularly better job than a cheap adapter. Um, and until you've actually tried a specific adapter, it's very hard to tell. And also, um, just going by the brand of an adapter doesn't necessarily mean that if um, brand adapter A uh, doesn't do a particularly good job on one type of mount, it doesn't mean that it won't do a good job on a different type of mount and vice versa. Um, but generally speaking, the, 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 the more recognized and larger brands, you do get a, a better level of consistency uh, between uh, adapters. Um, the the biggest uh, issue I find with the, the with the cheaper adapters is is usually with the slightly more complicated um, adapters themselves and how they how they actually mount. And a, a typical one will be I'm not sure if it is actually more compl complex or not. But OM adapters um, they are the Olympus OM adapters are the adapters I've come across in the past when I. Uh, wasn't selling adapters and I'll be trying to find an adapter for Micro Four Thirds or something like that. And OM adapters have, have proven to be particularly problematic um, as in uh, many of those adapters don't seem to capture uh, the aperture control arm, pin, whatever the, uh, the the correct terminology is so that you, you can mount the lens, they click in, uh, but the 
uh, the aperture might not open fully or, or close fully um, when you're actually turning the, the aperture ring. So th these are the areas where, generally speaking, you, you spend more money, you're going to have something that's going to be machined to a, to a, a higher level and it's been thought through to a higher level. Because it's also uh, got to be said that there are many adapters at the, at the cheaper end of the scale, which are copies of adapters. And, and that in itself is a problem. Uh, because you, you talk any adapter, well, just, well, most adapters are reverse engineered in the first place. So it's somebody taking some measurements and then working out how to, how to actually make an adapter from it. I mean, if there's somebody more technical than me uh, that can explain this this process better, then you know, by all means, write in. But in my layman's terms, somebody has got to work out you know, where, where where to do the cutting, the machining, and uh, you're working out the thread pitches and things like that. And that's that's okay. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, obviously it's going to be better if you actually got the original measurements in the first place but if you don't have access to those then you're going to reverse engineer it now the problem you get is some people are making adapters from reversed engineered adapters so somebody's making a, an approximation a very good approximation of how an adapter should be made and then somebody's making an approximation of that um, and that's i think that's really when you get to the cheaper end which is what we're talking about here that's where things start to go wrong so mm. um that's that's sort of part one of uh, of my answer so i've got some other things to say <laughs> here um but i'm going to hand it over to uh to johnny if you want to if you've got any comments you might, might want to make so far uh, yeah i mean i i've i've had i you know i I think what you said, it doesn't really necessarily matter on brand because I've had cheap adapters that work fine. And then I've had other cheap adapters that were complete garbage. Um, I think the question specifically mentioned photodiocs. I mean, they, my understanding is what they do is that they import the, I guess you would call them the first quality, higher level quality adapters from Japan or from China. So they're the same exact adapters as the cheap ones, but they've, maybe past a higher slightly higher measure of quality control um and they get their name you know silk screened onto the adapters and sent over from china but they're fundamentally the same adapters so the only difference would be their names on them and they've maybe gone through a higher level of quality control that said i've had garbage adapters from photodiacs so i think it's a little bit of a crapshoot i think what simon said it really depends on the mount i've found that uh adapters for exacta can be dicey because it has a little lever that has a spring and depending on how that's built that can be good or bad so um so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a crapshoot um you know i guess that you can buy the cheap ones and if they die you buy a new one <laughs> but, but but there's probably i i don't know i i don't know that there's any hard and fast rule about avoid these and don't avoid these Okay. How about, how about you, Ricardo? Have you got anything to add to Johnny's comments or mine? Yeah, it'll come as a great surprise to everyone that I fully agree with Johnny on this one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do think that uh, the cheaper you get, the uh, higher the sense of potentially not so good quality you might have. Though I have used Fotasi adapters a lot and haven't really had any problems. I think they're yeah. The, the construction quality is really where you're gonna where you're gonna have issues and some of the I had only one out of many many adapters that that didn't get to infinity just because the measurements were off by fractions of a millimeter 
Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was a cheap adapter. I've never had that happen with the more expensive adapters, but I've also had loads of cheap adapters that, where that didn't happen. I think the only major problem I had with an adapter was actually with a helicoid. Um, I use helicoids a lot, um, and you know, one of the helicoids I used actually broke down <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the middle of shooting, and, and the lens fell out. And luckily, I caught it uh, before wow. it hit the ground. Uh, but you know, I'm not buying that brand again. I can't even remember what brand it was, it was but it was one of the cheaper helicoids. Um, another thing that that I have found that could be a problem is uh, the coatings inside the adapter uh, and the way they reflect light. Uh, some of them may lead to flares, particularly if they're longer like in a helicoid when you extend it out. Um, I, I've seen people that you know glue felt on the inside of that to minimize the reflections on the ins inside of the adapter or the helicoid. I've never had a problem with the ones I've used, but, uh, but, but that can be an issue. And I guess we should also say that, that you know, some people consider basically focal reducers as adapters and, and there where you're actually including a lens inside the adapter to, 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 change, you know, to have a focal reducer. In that case, I do think you get what you pay for and, mm. and having a very good lens in it um, uh, makes a whole lot of sense. I've had good luck with, uh, with uh, what is it? I can't even pronounce it, the Mitakon. Uh, Songji uh, lens turbo too, um, but but I know there's much more expensive ones, and I know there's cheaper ones, and people uh, say sometimes the cheaper ones don't do as as good a job. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm no expert on the uh, focal length uh, re reducers, but when you there are other adapters, uh, things like if you want to put. Um, um, an M42 lens onto a onto a Nikon or uh, or Canon FD lens onto a on, onto a Canon uh, Canon uh, EOS camera. Uh, those those uh, adapters require um, at least one corrective element, and I think in some cases, I think with the with the FD adapters, they can actually uh, maybe two or three, maybe four uh, adapters, uh, sorry, elements in there to actually correct. Uh, for for the focal length uh, for the flange focal flange distance sorry um, but there's a, there's a, a few things um, one I've never come across one of those that I would want to use myself um, and I've used some that have at the higher end of the uh, the price scale and uh, and some at the lower end and I, I didn't really see a great deal of difference of neither of them are good enough as far as as far as I'm concerned um, and you've got to think you know you're going to put a high quality lens that has been gone through potentially years of development and you're going to put it through an adapter which costs about 30 pounds 40 dollars uh with with elements in it and and it's an adapter as well so you've got to think about you know what is the quality of the of the glass in the in the in those elements and how well thought through are they uh, that they can still send the thing from china for 40 dollars um it doesn't it doesn't give you a huge amount of confidence and the and the results are pretty much what you'd expect so i'm i'm no no fan of any any adapter that uses corrective elements in them um you mentioned uh, ricardo you mentioned about the reflections um and that's something that it's it's interesting that's something that up until relatively recently it's something i didn't really come across as being a problem um and you mentioned it with uh, longer focal lengths well I'd, i've i've come across it with particularly wide 
focal lengths. Um, no, I meant longer adapters. Oh, right. I see. I see. Okay. Um, and the and that's that's simply an issue of it's an it's an effect of on the inside of a, of an adapter. It's, they, they're always painted black. Uh, but the the problem is that the the black that is usually spray spray applied is it's it's more of a satin effect. Um, it's not really a full matte, um, and that's why you you mentioned that how some people are putting some kind of like velvet flock in there to uh, to to cut down on reflections, and that's what it's all about. Uh, if if you've got something that has the ability to shine, um, you know, the flat black paint can actually reflect. Then it will bounce that light around and it will potentially give you bad reflections or reduce contrast and, and things like that and you'll find that the vast majority of adapters out there uh, use a very similar kind of coating because it's a mass-produced product and it's sprayed and you know it, it does it does a job now I think you've got to look at the the cost of, of making these adapters I mean I think I may have mentioned on a, on a previous episode that I I had some uh, custom-made adapters made for some large format lenses uh, done for me because there was no way that what I wanted to do was ever going to be off the shelf. And they cost quite a fair bit of money to get these things machined and made for me. And I showed them um, a, a good quality adapter and asked them, you know, how much would you make one of these things for? And and we're talking about an adapter that sells for 20 to £20, $30, that kind of thing. And he, he was really impressed. The machinist was very impressed with what, what he saw. And he said, yeah, I'd probably do something like that for about £80. Yeah, £80, $100, some, some, something like that. And, and that would be you know, super high quality. It'd be finished beautifully and, and, and so on. But the point is, you know, these adapters, if you're paying $30 or whatever it is for an adapter, it's cheap. You know, you've got to make no mistake about it. That is a cheap adapter for what you're actually getting for, for, for the money. And if you want to cut down on those reflections, you can do it uh, because there are adapters out there that, that have a hand applied coating on them. Uh, I know KNF uh, Concept do do those adapters, which I've sold quite a few of them, although not that many. And uh, FICAS and uh, have, have do them as well. Uh, but you're paying you know, 30 percent, uh, maybe 40 percent more uh, to buy that adapter over a normal adapter. And, and it's you know, the, the, the fact is, you know, I've sold those adapters over, over time and people don't buy them because they don't want to spend that amount of money on them. So it's a case of you get what you pay for. But certainly if you're going to buy expensive adapters, it's well worth actually checking what the internal is like and whether it's just sprayed just like just about everybody else's adapters and it's not specifically uh, anti-reflective or whether there's something special in there because that is something that is worth paying a little bit more for if you're one of these people that encounters uh, reflection problems. Mm. Yeah. One other I, thing to add here, sorry, Johnny, um, is that, you know, I used to shoot uh, Nikon and obviously Nikon is probably the, the the worst brand to use for adapting old vintage lenses just because the flange focal distance is is so long and so you know you almost are limited or are very limited to which ones you can uh, attach with simply an adapter um, and one thing that I saw people doing and I actually bought a couple of lenses this way is that some people in the Ukraine and other places are 
machining old lenses. So uh, I had a guy machine, remachine a Jupiter 11 to fit on a Nikon. And basically, you know, the, the design of the lens is such that they could actually uh, cut out some pieces and, and, and get it to focus to infinity. It's not exactly using an adapter, but for people who, who love Nikon and want to shoot Nikon cameras and still shoot uh, vintage glass, this can sometimes be uh, a, a way to get at least some lenses. Not all lenses will let you do that, and certainly you're not going to be able to adapt sort of the LTM lenses, uh, although this was actually an LTM 39 lens, so depends on the lens, I guess. Are you sure, are you sure it wasn't a, a Zenit M39 Rather than, it might have been. Yeah, because it I don't think been. any machine in the world was would get get a an LTM lens uh, running on an, on a Nikon, but uh, a ZM Zenit M thirty nine definitely. You could, you could, I could see how you might be able to do that. Yeah, it could have been actually. I don't. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other one other point about the adapters uh, was earlier on. You touched upon uh, adapters not reaching infinity. Um, which is bad news, however way you look at it. Um, you've also you also note that just about every adapter you may have actually used um, goes slightly past infinity. So, and the question mark really is how far past infinity is is going to be acceptable. I mean, they, it, this this is done because of machining tolerances, I believe, um, and. And and an and a wish to avoid exactly the problem that Ricardo's pointed out there of, of lenses not reaching infinity. So, what they tend to do, um, and I think I don't know if all manufacturers are going to go along with this one, but um, most manufacturers that I'm aware of uh, produce the make the adapter ever so slightly short. I mean, I'm I'm talking about a fraction of a millimeter short of where it, it perhaps should be to get a true infinity focus. But I've also noticed some lenses there can be variations in lenses um, let alone adapters about where infinity actually sits so i think that's when when you do find an adapter that well i say most adapters do go past infinity well i think they're just covering bases rather than being incapable of actually machining to the to to the precise uh, limit there right now before we move on um Perry, who, as, as I said earlier, is, is traveling, but he's seen this this email and he has taken the time out to record um, a specific uh, answer regarding LTM lenses and LTM adapters, uh, specifically LTM to Leica M. So uh, here's Perry. Hey, guys. Uh, I just want to add my two cents on this email about adapter quality from Jamie Bloomquist. Uh, I'm sure Simon and Johnny, you guys have got most of the adapters covered. So I just want to add a quick note about LTM to Leica M adapters in particular, because there are a lot of these on the market and they vary wildly in prices from the very cheap uh, to the very expensive original Leica ones. Now, most of them will work fine because all these adapters do is add one millimeter of thickness and a Leica M bayonet mount to the LTM lenses. But one thing that you do have to pay attention to is the cutting of the threads in the screw because some adapters, in particular the cheaper ones, have inconsistencies in the placement of those threads. So what this basically means is if you screw an LTM lens onto an LTM body, 
it'll, you know, finish screwing a particular way. And on a properly made LTM to M adapter, you want the lens to end up in exactly the same position uh, on the M mount body as it would on the LTM. Now, some adapters, because the threads are cut at the wrong angle, you might end up with your lens kind of rotated slightly off center. This usually doesn't make a difference in terms of focus accuracy uh, because it's the thickness of the adapter that, you know, accounts for the focusing distance. But it can make a really big difference if you have a focus tab on your lens. Because if your lens is rotated off center, then a focus tab that might start at, you know, four o'clock might end up starting close to six o'clock instead. And that can really hinder the quality of the handling of the lens. So ideally, if you're buying an LTM lens, uh, an LTM to M adapter, you want to make sure that you can try it uh, before you mount it to your camera to make sure that the positioning of the focus tab is correct. And in addition to that, this can have an even bigger effect on lenses where the focusing, the rangefinder focusing um, cam, there's like a cutout on some lenses where the helicoid moves back and forth. And that cutout has to be lined up exactly with the rangefinder arm on your camera or else it won't couple correctly. Uh, Rob Jameson in the group recently had an issue with this where he has a top core 3.5, uh, sorry, 35 centimeter, 35 millimeter f2.8 lens. And the cutout on his rangefinder coupling portion of the lens doesn't line up correctly with the cam. Uh, and as a result, his lens will only focus sort of near infinity and then it stops coupling. Now, that's not a problem with the lens because it'll work perfectly on an LTM body. But his adapter, because it's off center, is actually blocking the rangefinder arm from coupling with the lens. So when you're getting an adapter, the original Leica ones are a lot more expensive, but the ones that I've tried have been perfectly aligned. But if you're getting a cheaper adapter, uh, I highly recommend that you get them in person so that you can just check to make sure that everything is lined up properly in terms of the position of the lens when it's fully screwed in. There is another way you can tell, but I haven't fully tested uh, whether this is consistent or not. But you can count the threads in the screw of the lens. I think four threads is correct. Five is an incorrectly cut adapter. This is a very poorly documented issue that kind of drives me crazy. And even when I brought the issue to my local uh, adapter shop, they hadn't even been aware of it. And we found quite a few inconsistencies um, on the adapters that they were selling across all brands except the original Leicas. So just something to bear in mind. Uh, I hope that made sense. But if you are looking to adapt LTM lenses to Leica M-mount, if your lens has a focus tab or a cutout for the coupling, pay really close attention to uh, the proper positioning of the lens. Right. Um, I've just got one more thing to add uh, to what uh, Perry has said there, um, because obviously these these are adapters that I've sold, and so I've actually checked uh, the ones that I've got left. I've just I haven't actually got any Firecast ones, but I've got K and F ones, and they they well the one I've just checked doesn't quite sit exactly in the place where uh, Perry would would like it to do. So uh, there's a bit of public information there. But on the other side of it is, if you're adapting to mirrorless, then it's absolutely fine. Um, and 
Um, I've got one of these adapters with a Sumicon lens on my M2, and frankly, it, it was I mean, we were talking about a couple of millimeters out, and I didn't actually even know it was actually not uh, aligned perfectly. So I think it's a case of just how far out some of these adapters might be, but certainly the uh, the, the KNF adapter that I've used was not an issue. Um, Okay, so we. Hey Simon, can okay. I just say how impressed I am that Perry took time to read an email and send a comment, even on vacation in Canada? Man, <laughs> that man is prepared. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We 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 did give him a bit of um, information there beforehand, so I think it, it might have been before he left. Um, but uh, but yeah, thank you, Perry. Um, and we got more of Perry later as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, have you got something there, Johnny? No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, that, this was, um, I, <laughs> I've always just told people to just buy original Leica adapters and avoid the cheap ones. But mm. it, this uh, kind of um, dissection of why they're problematic from Perry was really helpful. Uh, and it makes sense. I mean, it, it, it makes exactly, it makes sense that that is the cause of the problem are, are the threads, the threads themselves. Uh, so Great advice there, and yeah, I I don't know. I usually just tell people, look, just buy, go buy the vintage like adapters. They're more expensive, but how many do you need? I mean, you basically need you know one, and they just screw lenses on and off them. Or if you really need more than one, you can buy more than one. Or if you really need it to pull up the frame lines on your film camera, then it means you need no more than three, I guess. Basically, um, anyway, yeah, it was just a good uh, a good dive into that, and you know the original like adapters, you pretty much can't go wrong with them. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you, Jamie, um, and thanks for your patience as well. Because uh, that that goes back quite a way. That 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 question does. So uh, hopefully we've uh, we've given you a full answer on that one. Um, okay, so should we move on to the next one, uh, Johnny? Sure. Uh, we're gonna do Daniel's question. Uh, Daniel wrote us on July sixteenth, and Daniel says, "Hello, CLP. Great show again." Uh, I didn't know a thing about CY lenses until today, though looking through Flickr, I find the rendering isn't my cup of tea. Anyway, here's an observation from someone who's struggled with focusing on SLRs, the newer, newer generation screens, while brighter are less contrasty. This makes nailing focus that much more difficult. I've hacked an F3E screen out of its bezel and put it in a Nikon F2K bezel, then compared it to the F2 version of the same screen on an F2 camera. The later screen just doesn't have the same pop and doesn't give me that same confidence. Also, while split prisms and micro prisms are just garbage. As you probably know, these focusing aids are etched into the glass and they just don't work accurately under all circumstances because when the angle and strength of light changes, so does the prism accuracy. Uh, B or E style screens all the way with emphasis on the older versions. Prisms suck. Regards, Daniel. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to get you a T-shirt of that, Johnny. Prisms suck. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I do agree with them. I, you know, I. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't focus at all with SLRs anymore. But even when I could, um, I, I often noticed. You know, looking at my images afterwards, I'm like, that's not in focus. I remember very distinctly that that was in focus on the split, split micro prism. And yes, that's because split micro prisms are garbage. Um, 
uh, there was a really good, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it when Perry's back. Um, but it came up in context of something that was mentioned a couple of shows ago, but there's a great, uh, video, I guess I could put the link in the program notes, um, by Gary Winogrand talking about, uh, SLRs, which is just pure, wonderful Gary Winogrand on video. If you've ever seen him, he's amazing. Uh, but he, he makes some really good points about basically uh, these things are meant to essentially give you the same focusing ability you have with a rangefinder camera. <laughs> but they just don't do it very well. Uh, that, that being the split microprisms. Uh, and I, I have to say, I, I agree with that observation. So took me 50 years to figure it out, but he's well, right. Well, uh, well, I, I like, I like split screens. <laughs> um, and, and also, uh, although technically speaking, this is, uh, uh, an, an opinion, um, but, uh, Daniel, you're wrong not to like the rendering of CY lenses. Um, um, because they, 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 they're great because they, they, there's ice lenses and that's all there is to it for, for me Simon I, I agree with you on CY lenses I don't agree with you on the split prisms I think rangefinders do a much better job for film shooters and one of the things I do love about shooting uh, uh, digital is, uh, is the ability to zoom in and get the focus yeah. exactly like I yeah. like it yeah. Um, and, and and that to me is uh, is almost worth the price of admission alone on a on a mirrorless camera. So. Yeah, I, I, w- I would second that. I mean, the best the best focusing camera I have ever used, period, of any type of camera ever, <laughs> is my Fuji mirrorless, where I have both peak focusing and magnified. I you can nail the focus. If you didn't get the focus right, it's because you screwed up. <laughs> it's not the camera. So. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about the uh, prisms, though, uh, a lot of this is going to depend on the, the, the speed of the lens. Um, so if you're using a long telephoto and it's an F4, 5.6 or something like that, then the, the, the split screens do get a little bit dark. In fact, they become effectively inoperative. So uh, that that's definitely a handicap. But, uh, but it's also a, a good advert for using fast primes, uh, in my view. Yeah, but then they're not accurate with fast primes either. So it's like that's kind of the whole. And then, the, and then, and then to make it worse, if you think you're seeing the depth of field on in an SLR wide open, you're not. You're just not. It doesn't look that way. It looks. It's not. You. You think. Oh, it's an SLR. I'm seeing what I'm going to get. No, you're not. <laughs> that's not what the. That's not what the depth of field is going to look like on film. It's just a guide. So there's so much that's misleading <laughs> about that beautiful image in your SLR. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, and I've, I've seen that happen. I've done when I've been using a 5D, and I was, and uh, I've looked at the picture on the back of the screen. And I thought that's that's not like the image I'm just right. looking at. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's definitely, and, and I think there's been a few, few things on the internet for e- exactly that reason. So uh, that's, that's, yeah. that's a certainty. Um, but uh, so I think this means a classic lens shoot off, uh, a focus shoot off between the, to get an, get a 1.2, uh, put it on two cameras and see if you can get the focus as, as well as it should be. Yeah. That could be interesting. Well, when you say two different cameras, I mean, I mean, put it on a put it on a mirror. Well, let's see if we can get uh, uh, with a rangefinder, a mirrorless, and an SLR. See if we can get uh, the the focus better with a 
split prism or uh, a rangefinder or a mirrorless. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with Johnny. The mirrorless is going to smoke everybody else away, but I do oh, think yeah, a rangefinder does a much better job on the focus. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost with you. Um, but certainly, I, I, <laughs> I completely agree that a mirrorless camera, you, you've got the, you've got more potential of getting an accurate focus with mirrorless, and you actually do get to see the. Uh, the, the, the picture that you're taking, whereas you don't on a on a DSLR. Um, so yeah. I, I don't think there's any real argument that you know a good EVF is is the best way to get true accurate focus. I think that that is I don't think you can do, do better than that. Um, and the other thought just occurred to me. I can't think of a lens that you can potentially use on a rangefinder, an SLR, and a mirrorless camera. Um, you've, got to, yeah. you've got to take a choice yeah, uh, between them. So, um, but it's an interesting point. But I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that other. Uh, SLR cameras that Johnny has tried where he's had problems with accuracy. Um, he's obviously not tried the contacts. Uh, that's 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 all I can really say on that. <laughs> uh, all right, shall we this, go on to errands? Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is going to be a big one. This is going to be a big one. Um, okay, so <laughs> I'll just start in on it and then I'll explain. So basically, Aaron Aaron sent us this question and Perry. And myself had a little follow-up exchange on this via email. I, I put my comments down because I knew I'd forget them before we actually got to reading this. So I'm going to read the question. I'm going to read Perry's email answer to that. And then I'm going to read my answer to Perry. And if that's not enough, we'll then talk about all that. So our question is from Aaron uh, Alfano. This is from July 17th. And he writes to Simon, Johnny, and Perry and says, Hello, I've been listening to the podcast for a long time and really enjoying it. Listening to episode 76 this morning, I was surprised that both Johnny and Perry said they dislike the Pentax Spotmatic. A few weeks ago, I picked up a Spotmatic with a 50mm f1.4 Super Tecumar for which, for such a low price, I almost feel guilty about it. Uh, I find it to be an excellent camera with so much so much so that I'm questioning my long-term commitment to Nikon manual focus SLRs. I'm very curious what Johnny and Perry dislike about the Spotmatic. I can understand that the stop-down metering is a bit inconvenient compared to newer cameras, but how big of a deal is it really if you shoot black and white or color negative film? The meter is my the meter in my spot Spotmatic doesn't even work, but between the Sunny 16 rule and the Pocket Light Meter app on my phone, I got the correct exposure on every shot of my test roll of Triax. No, no meter, no problem. Also, not that it has any effect on the use of the camera, but I think the Spotmatic is the best-looking SLR ever made. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks. Keep up the great work on the podcast. So here's what Perry said kind of in response to that. Perry says, um, on this one, the main reason I don't like the Spotmatic is simply how it feels, especially the film advance. It could be just my copy but it feels flimsy reminds me of the nikon s2 advance and compared to my favorite cameras the advance on mine is stiffer than a corpse at a strip club and my my follow-up to perry was uh you must have a really shit spot matic i actually love them but one it's an slr and two m42 is a crappy mount for open aperture metering and aperture priority Stop-down metering sucks, and I hate the feel of that switch on the side of the camera. 
I still don't understand how it's any easier than off-camera metering. I think it was more a matter of not having to buy the light meter and the camera back in the day when people had far less disposable income. My Spotmatics are super smooth. The advanced lever is one of the reasons I keep them around. I especially love the older pre-Spotmatic uh, meterless Pentax bodies, but again, the whole SLR thing. My two cents so that I don't forget this before podcast day. And that was from Johnny Sisson. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then Perry wrote, I think Perry wrote back. Um, or did I write that back? But yes, no, this is me again. But yes, the sender's email, I'd rather use a Spotmatic than any Nikon SLR, except perhaps the FE, which feels like a response camera to the much better SLRs being made by Olympus and Minolta during that same era. And I hope everybody is pissed off now. <laughs> that wasn't in the email. That was me adding to my reading of all the emails at the end right there. I've almost forgotten what the question was now. <laughs> so the question, should I read it again? <laughs> the question was, what do Perry and myself have against Spotmatics? Um, and Perry Perry just kind of thinks they're rubbish and he doesn't like the way they feel. Um, and I like them, but I really dislike stop-down metering. And I really dislike stop-down metering. And it's an SLR, and I really dislike stop-down metering. Um and I'd rather just use a meterless camera, is what I said. So yeah, I actually I really I much prefer the pre Spotmatic Pentaxes, the non-metered ones. I I really like them a lot, and I I like I like Spotmatics. I, it's just I think the M forty two mount is it's it's really bad for you know you can, it's it's bad for open aperture meter. It's like it's like uh, um, the exact amount. You know, I mean the the Topcon cameras are brilliant but they're kind of ultimately hobbled by the fact that it's an it's an exact amount so it's the mount of the camera the mount predates the need for you know in-camera metering that kind of came along after and then you kind of go back and you try to re-engineer it to work and it just doesn't work that well and it certainly doesn't work for open aperture metering and it doesn't work for aperture priority and for me, I, I'd either rather use a completely unmetered SLR or I'd rather use a, an SLR that does aperture priority and be done with it. So that's my thought. Okay. Uh, Ricardo, have you got any thoughts on the Spotmatic? No, I actually like it as a camera. I thought it was uh, the one I tried, and I must say I didn't try it for very long. I, I did like it as a camera. I didn't. I had no problems with it. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting what he said about the the app, uh, the metering app. Um, I've tried one, and I also had good success. And I wonder how many people actually use those iPhone or Android uh, metering yeah. apps. I, I've I've got one on my phone. I mean, it it works pretty good. It just it occurred to me that it was stupid to pull. Well, I guess they're a lot more expensive now, but for me, my phone would be to replace about six hundred dollars. It's stupid to pull a six hundred dollar phone out to take a stupid light meter reading when I could pull, you know, a fifteen dollar light meter out <laughs> that does it better. <laughs> so <laughs> I have it, but I don't really ever use it anymore for actual light metering. Um, but the, those apps are, they, they're good. I mean, they, if the working at the camera shops, any indication, I would say at least 50% of people shooting with older cameras right now are 
that's how they're metering. Um, probably much more uh, than that. Although I have noticed the same thing is that I think people are realizing it's stupid. To, there's certain things it's just stupid to do with a phone, a thousand dollar smartphone. And I think Except I, that I think means carrying carrying another light meter, just one more thing to carry. Yeah, but they're they're tiny. I mean, uh, they're 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 tiny. You can get a you can get a, a light meter small enough to swallow. I mean, you, you they're just they're tiny. You know, they're not a big deal, and it's you know it's just part. It's part, to me, it's part of the fun of doing film photography is you get to really like learn the light and measure the light and understand how light works. You get to just understand how, how to, how to, you know, read light, which is a, which is a great instinctual thing to develop as a photographer, because then you're not, it's, it's like, it just becomes part of the process that you internalize, you know? So I don't know. I agree with you on that, but I'm still not going to carry a light meter because I always have my phone with me and I'm totally <laughs> going to forget to bring the light meter along. But that's- <laughs> Well, I'm in. I'm in the third place on this one. Uh, we, I think we give you three different answers every time now, aren't we? Um, yeah, yeah, which is good. That's um, good. Yeah, um, and and that's I. I like to use a light meter. Uh, that's that's the first thing. Um, secondly, uh, the the light. I've tried a couple of different light meter apps on my particular phone, and they were just way off. I mean, they were just they were just less than useless. Uh, so the, the the app is going to be dependent upon the phone that you use. So and it, well, or the user. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Ouch! I, yeah, I can, I can, I can use a phone. I can, and I can use a light. I can use an app. I can do that. And uh, and and the way I would test it, I would, I'll just go to a uh, yeah just a scene a known scene with a with a camera um and maybe a light meter that you trust and see if they agree with each other and you know if they do that's good news and then try the try the light meter app and see if that agrees with with both the others or or at least close to it because it's you know getting two light meters to truly agree with each other is, is i think you want to hide into nothing with that one but as long as as long as they're all within the, the the right kind of ballpark then 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 you're good to go but i couldn't get uh, a light meter app to work on my phone uh, reliably so i i just don't trust them um, having had them go they've been going wrong with me so um, I like to carry a, uh, a light meter that I trust and I'd, I wish I could actually trust a smaller light meter, but I use a, a Gosson, uh, Profi six, which barely fits into a pocket. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd rather not actually carry it. I, you know what? I'd be quite happy to actually use my phone if I could actually truly trust it, but I, I, I don't. Um, and my, that's the other part, you know, my phone is a, uh, hundred and, I think I think I got it used, and it was about ninety pounds, one hundred and ten dollars, something like that. So, you know, my my Profi Six is probably worth about eighty pounds. You know, so, so, I'm just I'm just picturing I'm just picturing Simon trying to read like read light with a BlackBerry right now, a, a flip phone. <laughs> yeah, flip phone. Exactly. Wait, let me let me text that up for you. Yeah, my my Motorola and uh, flip it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hello, Moto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but no, I, 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 I like light meters, and I'm, I'm very happy. It's, to me, it's more about accuracy and trust. So I will, I will use the device that I trust the most, and, and that's sense. the one that gets yeah. used. 
Simple well, as that for me. Um, my, 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 my light meter is far smaller than my phone. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I get. Yeah. That's what I walk around with these days. I like light meters too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just just on, I'm going to offer a bit of an opinion on the uh, the Spotmatic, and it's not really worth much. But I, I'm just, I'm there thinking, yeah, it's a it's a camera in it. <laughs> you know, you know, I really can't I can't get excited with the Spotmatic. It's 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 iconic to look at. You know, yeah, there's there's something very special about about the look of that camera. Yeah, um, but in terms of its use. What? It's you know it's it's very vanilla, um, and it it le- I can use one and it it leaves me um, you know unmoved, um, but you know a lot of people <laughs> like it and and that's you know good for them. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, let's. Why don't we move on to the uh, the next question? Which I gotta scroll down and see what that question is. I believe it's from uh, Ronnie Brandon. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah, I'll give a quick little bit of history on 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 this one. Uh, Ronnie uh, wrote to me or emailed uh, uh, to me via um, where was it eBay. We um, had a, a, a two two questions, and I and I started to respond via eBay, and I realised, oh dear, this 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 could just run into an essay. And uh, and it'd be just so much easier to talk about this. So what? I, what I and there was also a bit of clarification that was there's I, I wanted as well. Okay. So uh, right. I emailed uh, Ronnie back and said, "Would you would you mind?" Uh, because he, he'd actually mentioned that he's uh, he listens to the show, um, which is good. Um, and uh, so yeah, could you email the show and also just just put a little bit of clarification, and then we can give you a, a full answer. Yeah. So so it looks like we actually have a two part question from ronnie or in any event we have two questions from ronnie that i think go together so we're going to read them together is that sound right simon yeah that's right Not yeah. really, if we if we do the second one first because that was the first one that oh the second uh, one first yes okay. so that, that, was, okay. that, that was the ebay question if you like okay gotcha all right second second part first ronnie brandon says hi simon i'm a film only shooter and a newcomer to the classic lenses podcast and you've really piqued my interest anyway i have an old m42 to canon fd adapter which I used to mount on my dad's old Helios 44M onto a Canon AL1 because it's a much better body than the Zenit the lens came attached to. My question is, the Helios has a pin on the back uh, that somebody told me is for aperture priority cameras like my Canon, but if this is true, the adapter certainly doesn't do aperture priority. Do you know if this is the case and can you supply a new adapter that would do the trick? Failing that, I know this is a long shot. Is there any way of mounting M42 lenses onto an Olympus OM mount? That's my preferred camera system and I've read it's difficult because of the flange distance or something like that. Like I say, I'm a newcomer to the podcast. Many thanks, Best Ronnie. And then we have a response that would have come from Simon and then we have uh ronnie writing back to simon saying thanks for your ebay reply uh as requested below is my original message to you to clarify then i'm using wait am i reading this part too oh yeah i am reading this part okay okay gotcha to clarify then i'm using an m42 mount helios 44m on a canon al1 body this is an fd mount body and usually for canon unusually for for canon an aperture priority model this camera will also do full manual mode, which I've been using with the Helios as aperture priority ceases to work. Hence my question about the pin on the back of the lens. 
the Helios is giving me something that my Canon FD glass doesn't. It's full of character. I like the Ufta, and I think it's going to be a gateway into other vintage and classic lenses. Second part of my question then, sorry that it wasn't very clear, but was about remounting about mounting M42 lenses onto an Olympus OM mount. I primarily shoot an OM2 with a few really nice uh, Zucchio lenses and would love to be able to use my Helios on the M42 body. I'm really only using the Canon because it's a, it's better than the only M42 body I have, which is Zenit 11. Uh, I guess most people mount old lenses on a digital. There's prob that, uh, there's probably not much call to mount old lenses between differing film camera systems. Anyway, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to wading through the podcast back catalog and going down the rabbit hole of classic lenses. All the best, Ronnie Brandon. All right. Yeah, th- thanks thanks for that. And thanks for the, the, the clarification there, Ronnie, as well. I think let's let's do the second part first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So talking about putting M42 lenses onto Olympus OM, and I meant to actually open up... Uh, um, I'm actually going to type it into the computer now. Where flange focal distances, um, because uh, this this is all all about um, how far away the lens is from the mount to be yeah. to get an infinity focus, isn't it? So yeah. the shorter the native mount of your camera, at least. Um, that allows you to use more lenses which are designed for cameras with a longer flange distance. Uh, yeah. So, which is why mirrorless cameras, uh, you can, you know, with particularly short focal flange distances, uh, can mount just about anything. And uh, as we touched upon earlier, Nikon have got the one of the longest uh, flange focal lengths, which means that you, to get them to sit correctly on the camera, you would actually effectively have to mount the lens slightly inside the camera to get yeah. to infinity, um, which isn't going to happen. Um, so, and as we touched upon earlier, to put something on, say M42 onto Nikon, you would need to have some kind of corrective element in there, which I've said, just don't do it unless you're desperate. Um, so I'm just trying to find yeah. out what the... The I I the flange distance the register distance for OM is forty six millimeters and for M forty two, it's forty five point four six, which sounds like oh it's basically the same but nap half a millimeter big difference uh, um, and it's not just the half a millimeter it's the fact that you have to you know build an adapter so that that is in and of itself adds. Um, yeah some distance and it depends i mean sometimes you can actually seat a lens stepped slightly inside the throat of another lens mount but it depends a lot on the hardware that is used to stop the lens down etc etc so long story short you really can't do it um it's it's just it's not going to work i don't even think you can do it i don't even know if there's a glassed adapter that exists to do that it's probably something that's technically possible to do okay. with with a corrective uh, optic. But, yeah, but they, right, because yeah, yeah. But, but, but who's going to do it? Now? It's going to be unsatisfying. Let's let's put it that way. It's going to be an un, unsatisfying experience. Um, I, I if I could venture to make a suggestion, it would be that well, two things. I mean, either just get a, a cheap 
M42 body, such as a Spotmatic, uh, that will work just fine with that Helios uh, lens, as long as you don't really want to use stop-down metering. In which case, if you really do, um, you could get one of the later Spotmatics. Is it the F, I think, that will do that? Um, that will do uh, open aperture you know, metering and all that stuff. If you want, I don't particularly like those, but some people do. Um, or I mean, to me, the easiest solution would be, um, this is where Minolta cameras are particularly useful because they have a shorter, uh, flange focal distance. Um, and in one moment, I'm going to tell you what that is. Cause I'm going to look it up here on the chart, on the chart, if I can find it. Uh, but it's relatively short. 40, oh, that's the wrong one. I was going to say 40, I've got the A mount there, but it's shorter than that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, here we go. 30, uh, 43.5. Right, exactly. So because it's shorter by several millimeters than just about anything else, you, you can easily adapt um, M42 lenses into a Minolta. Um, and I've done this quite a bit. I, I think I've said the be the best... Uh, aperture priority m42 camera as a minolta um because that's that's that that's where i'm more likely to actually use my m42 lenses uh, it's brilliant because since you have that auto manual switch on most m42 lenses you can you know put the lens on the camera you can quickly flick it down if you you know if you want to do your your metering and it's instant versus the metering stop-down metering on a uh, M42 body, um, like a Spotmatic, and you can just shoot it, you know, stop-down like that, and the metering will be perfect through the lens, and you won't have to do anything. It's just easy, simple aperture priority. So that works, and I think for someone who uses um, OM cameras, you'll find Minolta cameras to have equally equally nice viewfinders because I feel like there's no going back once you use a camera with a really good viewfinder like an OM or a Minolta. Um, so anyway, that's my thought is get a, any of the Minolta X bodies like an X 700, X 370, X 500, X 570, whatever, get a, a M42 adapter and you're off to the races. I'm, I'm just, just, just um, from a couple of things you said there, uh, the, uh, the, the FD mount, Canon FD mount is actually shorter than Minolta. Um, but why would you want to use FD lenses on anything? I mean, well, no, on. but you know, if you wanted to use M42, which is already doing, of course, isn't he? Yeah. So, so he he's, he he can actually do this. But I, I think we're going to come on to the second, the first part of his question shortly. Uh, but also, the, I think that the shortest SLR uh, mount is uh, Konica AR, uh, which mm -hmm. is a full. Uh, three millimeters shorter than even Minolta is. The downside right. is uh, it's a Konica. It, yeah, the len Konica <laughs> lens is good. Konica bodies mm, not good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, Ricardo, I don't know if we've we sort of left you quiet there for a little bit. I don't know if you have got anything anything to add to what we've uh, just just said there about uh, that part of the question, at least. Anyway. No, what, what it got me thinking about was um, when I was shooting my, my Nikon cameras, which I loved, and I'm not going to take the bait on Nikon that uh, Johnny threw out earlier, but um, <laughs> uh, 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 I had a lot of trouble finding old lenses that I could use. Um, but one of the things I did do, and I mentioned this earlier, was uh, buy a machined Helios from uh, a guy in the Ukraine uh, and I think his handle was like Cosbic44. I'll put it in the notes. Um, 
and so he basically machines a Helios to fit uh, on a Nikon. And if he can do that, um, he can probably do that <laughs> to put it on uh, any body you want. Um, is it worth it? Probably not. Uh, as, as Simon and Johnny said, uh, probably not worth the effort or the time or the money that you're going to spend uh, to get it done. Though, you know, uh, I think we have a question about cheap lenses. And as I've often said, the Helios is a very cheap lens and a wonderful lens. So um, I also, like you, love the way it renders. That 44M is a wonderful lens. Yeah. Um, now, this, this, there, there, are, there are more things I can say on this, but I think we should move on to the first part of the question now, which was to do with the uh, the pin. Because the, the lens in particular we're talking about is the 44M uh, and that has so it's M42 and it has a well, what I call an auto pin. I don't know if that's the uh, if there's a, a better name for an auto pin. Would you go along with that, Johnny, or is, would you call that anything else? What's that? I'm sorry. The, uh, the, pin, the, the pin that sticks out to the back of automatic uh, M42 uh, lenses. So you can, for for the stop down metering. Oh, the the second pin. Yeah, the, the little the, second pin. Yeah. Uh, well, the pin that uh, went. So when you. Let's just explain what I'm talking about. Um, so when you when you focus a lens on a on a most M42 cameras, uh, you'll be looking, uh, you'll be focusing, and the the lens will be wide open to enable you to uh, have the, a bright uh, viewfinder, right. and uh, so to enable your your focus. And so uh, you might set the aperture to f8 for the photograph you wish to take, but the actual lens itself would still be wide open. And right. then at the point where you actually take the photograph, uh, a mechanism in the camera pushes upon the pin and that yeah. pin then closes down to F8 and then it takes the photograph all very, very, very quickly. Right. Okay. So, uh, so I've seen them called aperture pins, by the way, just simply. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's, that's aperture pin, auto pin. That's it. So uh, that's 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 pretty much what what we're talking about there. Um, and back to the original question, uh, it was a case of has this got something to do with aperture priority? And the answer is no. It's got absolutely nothing to do with aperture priority. It's got everything to do with what I've just talked about there. Right. Um, so, uh, and and this this is the thing now. Uh, Ronnie wants to use aperture priority uh, ideally on his on his uh, his, his Canon, and. The, with that particular lens, you can actually forget uh, that it's got the pin. Because on that particular lens, if I'm memory serving me correctly, it also has uh, a little switch right. on the lens itself. We'll say manual or auto or M or A, some, something of those lines. Yes. And uh, and what you would wish to do if you want to use aperture priority is just switch it into the manual setting. Um, because then when you turn your aperture uh, dial, it will open or close uh, the the iris, and your camera, if it's if it's capable of aperture priority, um, should actually just meter what right. what it's seeing. Um, mm -hmm. the, the downside, of course, is that if you if you want to take something that's stopped down, um, you'll turn it to f eight, and you get a very dimmed viewfinder um, because you know, the aperture's closed down. But you will actually, or you should actually, get an accurate reading for 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 the meter. Um, right, and but. This, this is where preset lenses really come into their own uh, because M42 lenses existed before uh, these, these auto apertures and they had presets. And the idea was that you would set your lens to the aperture that you, you 
ultimately want to take the photograph at and you have another dial that you open or close up usually open up so you get uh, the lens is, is um, it's, it's wide open so you get to actually focus uh, the lens properly and just before you take your photograph you will close the other dial down and then which will close the aperture down and then you will take your photograph uh, it's not a you're not going to get auto aperture with that actually you will do actually thinking about it won't well uh, aperture priority you will effectively do that at the point would. when the lens is closed down yeah and take it right and, and, and that's that's kind of what i was suggesting about that he used the app the am switch that you that's essentially turns into a preset switch if you use the lens this way the way we're talking about that that's what that am switch is essentially doing is you're just flicking that switch when you take the photo and the lens you're stopping the lens down you have it preset to the aperture you want and you're stopping the lens down and you're effectively using it the same way as a preset lens which i mean it works out good you can focus wide open and then when you're going to take the picture, you just flip the switch. The aperture closes down. The metering will be correct when the camera takes the photo. So, yeah, it'll work. It'll so, work really well. There are, I think there are actually some systems you can, you can adapt an M42 and still, I'm guessing now, uh, and, and still retain the automatic function. And, and I'm just thinking about Roly QBM mount. Well, and that's the, the, the Spotmatic F, and there are um, Takamar lenses that have a second smaller pin, and what that second smaller pin does is it allows the M42 lens to operate as a true open aperture, aperture priority uh, shooting on those particular M42 bodies. But it's really only one, essentially one model of the Pentax that did that and then there are a few other cameras that do um namely some of the um uh, uh not the cosinas which well yeah but th anyway i'm so i'm blanking on uh the the camera style the the chinons the memetrons those those are basically considered the kind of uh, you know best aperture priority m42 camera bodies that were made they have other problems so to me they're not as attractive but, but anyway well, well what i was saying there is you taking you can take i think on i think the the qbm the roly ones you can actually take which is not an m42 camera yeah um you can there is an adapter that you can so i've, I've got one and I've, I'm, I'm sure that it actually still uh, retains use of the auto pin uh the aperture pin uh, mm. yeah and it's a tiny adapter it goes in there and it's made, made by Rolly, and i'm pretty sure you can do it but and i think moving m42 to just about any other system you're going to lose that open aperture system um, right so, so so to speak yeah and i've seen people remove the pin altogether or tape it down to not have to deal with it and some of the adapters do press it as well right uh, uh, yeah don't. Yeah, good, good, good point, and that, and that's really when you. But that's when we're talking about adapting to mirrorless, um, rather than to a to a say a, a different film camera, and and but you're absolutely right because if you, something like the 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 later, um, later designs not necessarily manufactured, uh, Helios lenses. So I think I'm not sure if the 44 M4 onwards, um, certainly the five, six, and seven. Uh, they those you can't actually switch 
you have there's no manual auto switch you just have the pin and if you put that onto a and if you use that with an adapter on a mirrorless camera and the adapter itself doesn't have like a little ledge just just uh, set inside uh, the, uh, the the thread of the adapter uh, which would normally capture the pin then you'll end up turning the aperture ring and nothing is going to change it, you will always be wide open um, but those those types of adapters that's not to say that that's a bad adapter it's just it's really those adapters are really better for um, preset lenses which you don't have the auto pin but if yeah, you... but no they're not okay <laughs> I don't like those adapters ever 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 <laughs> don't well, ever buy an m42 adapter with a ledge in it ever <laughs> no no I'm talking about the ones without the ledge now Oh no, those are the good ones. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I put it in there because I know I know yeah, you yeah. like those. But but no, <laughs> this, but this is the point though. If you buy an adapter that hasn't got that ledge, and you have a a, a lens that has a doesn't have a manual switch on it, then you're faced with either well, unless I'm wrong here, Johnny, and you can correct me. Um, you're either going to have to tape that pin down or remove the pin down if you actually want to well, adapt it. Yeah, right. And the, and and those are the lenses I would also avoid. <laughs> are the M, are the M42 lenses that don't are the probably the much later ones from the 70s um in that Russian garbage that those are the ones I basically don't like anyway. But with with real M42 lenses with a real pin in them or a preset lens, the ones the adapters with a ledge are problematic because with preset lenses they often don't let the lens screw in all the way with lenses with a pin in them it sometimes presses the pin but not correctly or all the way and then the lens doesn't screw in all the way they're just a, they're a ball of trouble so i t i tend to tell people to avoid them and just as long as you have as long as you have an m42 lens with a switch on it or a preset lens you don't need that ledge you only need the ledge for the lenses that don't have any kind of switch which are the later ones so, which some people like, and get yourself one of those lovely ledge adapters, then, and you'll be happy. <laughs> Forget everything Johnny just said. Those, <laughs> Russian, those Russian lenses are not garbage. <laughs> there are some wonderful Russian lenses, even the later ones. Um, <laughs> you can either remove the pin; it's a really easy operation. No, 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 yeah, no, can, no. You no. can ruin the lens. No. You can, uh, no, you or can't. you no. can just tape it down, or you can get one with a ledge, and it will not be a big deal. That's um, my sense. There, there is just the, uh, Johnny did make a good a good point earlier, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and, and and that's I'll a, have the, to see it to believe it. Sorry. Yeah. Well, some some lenses and some M forty two adapters with the ledge do have problems with some. M42 cameras, uh, lens, yeah. lenses, um, and the, the one that always comes to my mind is the uh, the Super Takamal uh, 51.4, um, yeah. because I've had many adapters where you you can't actually take the lens to infinity because it would actually the the, the optical block would would foul uh, that ledge, um, right. so that that's that's a definite problem, and uh, certainly earlier. Um, KNF adapters did that and they updated their design about 18 months ago now uh, something like that and I can also say that the Ficas adapters are, have the uh, uh, 
the same improved design so you can actually use those those lenses um, but that is one of those things where some adapters will work with that lens and some won't uh, it's a, it's a, it's as simple as that and uh, and it's not necessarily a, a price thing it's just whether or not they've actually realized that some very particular lenses uh, have a problem and then have they reacted to it in the way that KNF did and right. uh, and FICAS right. for that matter so I'll modify my answer. Get a good adapter from Simon, and you'll. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, there, there are there are some M42 lenses that are absolutely problematic, such as the Mamaya SX range of lenses, which have got an extra pin in them that will just dig into the adapter, and if you keep on screwing it in, you're just going to damage either the adapter or probably the lens. Um, so that they they can be problematic, and also some of the Fuji uh, M42 lenses can be problematic as well. I think they're okay on the firecast adapters as well the the problematic ones but I've, i'm sure i've tried it on one and it was okay but yeah it m42 is problematic with 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 adapters it's just one of those yeah. things but yeah. uh, but don't don't do the throw the baby out of the bathwater solution with with the johnny says you know so if you want to use them just get a good adapter <laughs> all right voice of reason from simon okay uh shall we move on to nigel cliff yeah all right. Nigel Cliff writes us about expensive lenses. And he says, um, we've all had a laugh over the past few weeks at Perry's definition of budget lenses. But for, but for ultimate quality on adapted lenses, do we have a go-to, uh, the upper ranges of the main manufacturers, Canon, Nikon, Olympus, Minolta, Pentax, plus Perry's really expensive stuff. Or can we with care get top quality results from the rest <laughs> from what the rest of the human race would would class as budget <laughs> are there any real budget under 50 pound lenses that can give results indistinguishable from the expensive glass in the classic lenses world now so yes, I, I, yes i love you nigel yeah, yeah. a good question I, I think the question is you just wait for the value of 50 pounds to drop far <laughs> enough and you can pretty much afford anything so no you give just it go, give it go the other way give it six months and you'll be great yeah no i'm, I'm just going to say i i think this is a really really good question and, I, and i'm just wary about the fact that technically speaking we've only got 10 minutes left to do this podcast and finish it and I, I think that that we, I'd like to park that question. Yeah, Perry and, needs to be here for that. Yeah, and I think that um, we'll put something up in the in our Facebook group as well uh, regarding that question. So that's the uh, the classic lenses podcast facebook group um and people can make some suggestions in there and i think we'll talk about that potentially next week uh because oh no yes oh yes no it's it's too big it's it's way it's way too big of um a topic give her honestly. give her give just like give yeah. ricardo his say yeah, just yeah, give can, ricardo, okay. yeah all right then go on ricardo you can say <laughs> but uh, but we're going to carry on next week yeah <laughs> I think the short answer is yes. There are a lot of lenses that most humans would consider budget that are awesome. Uh, I know I don't have much time. I would say that the uh, the Nikon 105 2.5, which has been talked about lots of times on this show, I like the the Sonar version. Not, will not, give you uh, that, no, no. Got to stop you there. That's it's not under fifty pounds or seventy dollars or so. I bought mine for sixty dollars. 
yeah, but that was that was lucky. And when and when was that as well? You know, so it was uh, it was yeah. about six months ago. Oh well, there you go. That that, that was a bargain. Bargains don't count. I think it's it's got to be lenses that you can go okay. out and okay. more or less do to that kind. Fine. All right. Would you give me a Helios 44 13 Easily. blade? Okay. Yeah. You can have you can have all of them. <laughs> Ricardo. <laughs> I love that Helios 44 13 blade, not just for the bokeh, but I love the way it shoots. Will you give me a, a Minolta 45 2 or a Minolta 52? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now you're talking. Uh, uh, both of those I love. Um, and the longer focal lengths, I love the Jupiter 11 135, particularly the older versions, the, uh, not the fat boy. Jupiter 11, but the thin rangefinder Jupiter 11s. I think the rendering on those, again, using size glass, I think some of the earlier ones, uh, wonderful, wonderful rendering. Um, I, I mean, I know Simon wants to cut it off, so I'll stop there, but there are many, many lenses you can get. And I just, I just worry about how Perry is ensuring his carry-on luggage uh, uh, <laughs> trip to Canada. <laughs> because I think I think you could buy a small island with that uh, that pizza hand luggage. <laughs> well, I've I've got to I've got to take you back a little bit because I've said yes to the Helios forty four, and I'm just thinking to myself. I, I don't think that actually really counts. Um, it's a great lens, and and it does great things. But I think when we're talking about uh, old lenses or cheap lenses versus expensive lenses. I think the the Helios forty four is a lens that produces great results, but you know it's it's if you if you're going to look at this as just being sharp and contrasty and uh, good across the frame and things like that, which I think is what Nigel's get, getting at here when he's talking about expensive lenses versus inexpensive lenses, I don't think we can really put the the Helios in there in in that category. But um, <laughs> I do completely. Well, I almost agree with you on the Jupiter Eleven, um, and it's not so much I disagree with the Jupiter Eleven. It's just what you said about the fat. Uh, Jupiter 11, uh, which is when, when you're talking about the M42 versions, um, and Jupiter 11 is a, is a big, it's a it's a it's a big favourite of mine, and I've had many of them. I've had them for the Kiev mount. I've had them for like uh, a 39 and M42, and every time one comes my way, I always keep compare it against my reference reference lens, and the best. Uh, Jupiter 11 I've owned and I've not had not come across one better than it for the last two years is on M42 um, so I don't think you can really put the mount uh, with those lenses to say that a, a particular mount is better than than another because there's just so much in the way of um, quality control yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. Um, there's sample variations the word I'm, I, I was try, trying to find out there um, so yeah so it, it's a case of you just go with what works for you and if it's a if it's an LTM lens is the best one then then great um, but it, you, I, I really have to sort of say it's down to the lens rather than the mount on, on that particular one but I think that's a great great shout with the Jupiter 11 yeah okay um uh, no, I'm just. I'm going to ask I, you, uh, Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo, how 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 much longer have we got of you? Because technically, we've got five minutes left. So we got we got one more question. No, no, let's go for it. Let's go. You for want it. to go for I'll it? I'll stay as long as you need. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna power through then. Yeah. Actually, we've got two questions because we've got one on Instagram as well. Oh, that's there? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it, this is a short one. So, um, and this question comes from Graham Homemade. 
And that would be Graham of the, uh, was it the Homemade uh, Camera Podcast? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So Graham sent us in a, it's more, I think it's more of a rhetorical question, uh, but Graham Young has sent the following. What is the purpose of a lens? Question mark. It is provide a sharp, colorful image, or is it to, or is its purpose to accurately render a scene? Question mark. I find myself enjoying images that slide down the fidelity curve more than the sharp, the ones at the sharp end. Uh, how much is it, it? Is it the lens, and how much is it what you point the lens at? Question mark. Ooh, deep. <laughs> Graham sliding us deep down the infidelity curve. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, what do you reckon, Ricardo? Um, look, I'm I, I'm with them on the fact that I find uh, exceedingly sharp uh, images sometimes a little bit boring and a little bit flat. Um, and in part, it's why I love vintage lenses. Is and this has been talked about many times on the show, it's the fact that some of the imperfections are what makes it perfect. Even Isabel mentioned it last week. Uh, I fully and 100% agree with that. Um, you know, it just gives that warmth. It just gives that vibrancy. So so um, I'm with him there on the second part of the question in terms of is it the lens or is it what you pointed to? I mean, obviously, the, the real answer is it's, it's a bit of both um, in the sense that, you know, you can take a, a good photo with a crappy lens and if you do good uh, composition and all the rest of it. Uh, and you can take a crappy photo with a good lens if you don't do all that. And I think in, in many ways it's a better... Uh, the the composition or what you pointed at and the story you're trying to tell and the feelings you evoke to me is is slightly more than the uh, sharpness or the quality of the lens but uh, the le- quality of the lens and the, even as we were as you were talking about in one of the previous episodes uh, the the camera does push you in a way to compose a certain way to think about the scene a certain way. Um, or not, so that has an impact on on, on what you're doing. Um, but but I do think uh, story, uh, what you're trying to tell, the emotion you're trying to pull out is a more important part uh, of the photo, and a lens can contribute to that. Um, but you're never going to get away without having that 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 sort of story and the ability to to edit out parts of the scene and to choose what you're not going to show uh which is i think what makes a a lot of photo uh, uh, makes a photo good or not so in, in, in many ways it's that negative space that that you pay attention to and what you choose to not have in the photo that i think in many ways makes a photo so i would say you know composition and what you pointed at is most of it um but the lens can can have an impact yeah the, the only thing i would so I think I think that was very eloquent. Um, the only thing I would say is that the, the the character of a lens will push you in a direction to take a, a particular kind of shot, and and I think it will actually in many respects it's, it's like a bit like limitations can make you more creative, and I think a particular character of a lens will make you more creative as well if you want to get the most out of that lens. So, um, but yeah. Um, Totally agree with what you said there. How about, how about you, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, actually, it kind of made me think of uh, talking with Isabel last week um, because, 
you know, her, her photos were both sharp and not sharp at the same time. Um, you could, you could call them sharp or on, I, I mean, somebody looking at a photo might say it's very sharp and somebody else might say it's not sharp at all looking at her photos. So I, I don't know. Um, I think it's that, I think what I'm saying is it's the down to the intent of the photographer ultimately. So the, the lens is just a tool and I, I, almost any lens is sharp enough at some point to be considered sharp. Um, so I, I think it just, it comes down to how the person using the lens wants to make an image or what they have in mind for what they want to make. Sharp in all the right places, I think is the, yeah. Or all the wrong places. I don't yeah, know. Exactly. Right. Well, that's, 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 that's another part. I mean, there's, there, there are lots of people, uh, and I know one, one in particular, uh, that would look at many of the photographs that you know we particularly enjoy, and I say we, I'm really talking about myself and Ricardo now, um, <laughs> with, um, with, uh, with 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 Uftar, um, uh, which Ricardo's not told us off for using that word yet, by the way. Um, and, I haven't uh, had a chance, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and I, would, I am. I, I came specifically to a place in the country called Boca. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to make the point, um, but this 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 person that uh, has has criticised many of my photographs um, purely uh, because a case of there's not enough in focus, and then you 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 take a look at his photographs, the ones that he particularly likes, and everything is in focus, and that's how he likes his fo- photos. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I can't I'm not I'm not going to tell. I think I've told him he's wrong, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, if if he likes everything in focus, if he wants to, you know, look at a photograph that's taken in a busy place and play Where's Wally with it, then that, that that's that's fine. You know? yeah. But I I I just and I think we just like photographs that that pick out a, a, a specific point of interest and uh, and there's a there's a really nice transition uh, between what's in focus and what isn't in focus, and I think that that's something that. You know, I think most listeners um, like in a, in, a, in, a, in a photograph. So, yeah, there are lots of different ways of using them. And, um, you know, how you do what you like, really. Yeah. I'm more in the everything in focus camp. But, you know, it, but it, it depends on the photo. And, and it depends on the, the, the intent of the person making it. I don't know. All right. Are, are, do we want to go on to our final? Yeah, just just one thing. Yeah. I think you can use focus to draw attention to certain things and draw attention away from certain things, and and I think how you do that makes a world of difference in a photo. And sometimes it's okay to have everything in focus because you want attention on right. everything. And right. and I think uh, I see a lot of photos, you know, a lot of street photos where everything is in focus. There's no attention. They just don't convey meaning or feeling. I see street photos where everything's in focus that do convey meaning and, and emotion uh, when I look at it. Um, I, and I think you know, portrait photographers and others use out-of-focus areas to draw attention to a person, to the eyes, to whatever it is they want to do. And so that's why some, sometimes I think portrait photographers do not like super sharp lenses. Um, partly because if it gets so sharp that you can see every pore on a person's face, it doesn't make the person look, you know, as dreamy or as good as, you know, if you took it with like a Jupiter 9 or, or, or even one of our favorites, the, the Nikon 105, um, you know. And so 
it really depends on on the photo when you shoot uh, you know, macro flowers or other things it's great to have that dreamy bokeh I will I refuse to say ufta and I came to Boca to make sure Johnny said what, the what did bokeh, you just say at least. he just said it <laughs> I did I refuse to use that word <laughs> that will be the last time I will use it um, joining us from ufta Rattan, it is <laughs> bokeh is perfectly fine what's wrong with that word so what if Apple uses it are we never going to eat an apple because they have the name <laughs> What do you want to call it? Like uh, red fruit? I'm going to eat a red fruit. Um, no, anyway. So enough said. Sorry, son. No, no, no. Okay. Well, let's 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 do the the the, the final question, which uh, came um, via uh, Instagram. Um, so I, I dropped a post out last night, and uh, so Johnny, do you want to do that? The final question. Yeah. Uh, this is from. Uh, well, I guess I. I will spell out the the name. It's from Ian Turpin, who is on Instagram as I A N underscore C T E E, Ian C T, on Instagram. Um, Ian Turpin, real name, and he says the Arsenal. Period. Getting a lot of ads for this. Hence this question. Ellipses. At what point does technology interfere with picture making process? with the picture making process is optical perfection important in a lens or is it something else? Question mark. Do you prefer at Bessie's Yorkshire pudding or making your own question mark food for thought ellipses, the arsenal. I'm still, I'm still wondering what the arsenal meant at the start. Is he mean, is that like about a? Is that a football reference? It's, well, it's 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 a small a, and I must admit, I've I've introduced you, I've introduced this in a way that you would read it out in the particular way, just in the hope that you had understood it. Did he mean the arsenal of lenses? Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought he meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I would say when the, I would I would say. Uh, at what point does technology interfere with the picture making process? Probably if it has the name Nikon on it, um, <laughs> and if it's a digital camera. I still not taking the bait. <laughs> I'm trying bait. so hard though. <laughs> I would say, at what point does it interfere? Always, always, in so many, in so many ways, right? You know, in the subtle ways we've been talking about, about whether. A rangefinder pushes you away from thinking of depth of field and bokeh and what it looks like, whereas a mirrorless, you know, shows it to you and and can help you make it part of an image. Whether you're making film, uh, the technology of the film, uh, introducing grain or other things, it impacts what you're taking and how you're taking. Um, I think it's just a question of using the right technology for the for the right type of picture. And I also think there's a there's an interesting thing that Isabel said last week that I, I agree with and that pushed her to basically sell all her film uh, camera gear. And that is that at some point we get overwhelmed by choice. And when you have an arsenal of lenses that is so big um, and you go and you say, I'm going to take pictures today and you go and you look at your arsenal of lenses and you get, you know, analysis paralysis or decision paralysis and you go oh, i don't know maybe i'll take this one maybe i'll take that one and then at the end of the day you go ah oh, god damn it forget about it i'm just you know i'm gonna go do something else and if that happens 
then I think it becomes a real problem because you're not doing the shooting you want. And at that point, you should do like Isabel and be like Isabel and sell your uh, your arsenal um, and and find one that you like using. I think it's it's interesting. I I was reading a story about how uh, they've done um, studies in in grocery stores about how people choose and how people buy. Um, and when they offer them samples, many different samples of, you know, ice cream flavors or what have you, people come in, they sample all of these things, and then they kind of can't decide what to buy, so they end up not buying. Uh, whereas if you give them only a sample of one flavor, they buy at a much greater rate um, than by giving them more samples. And I find myself sometimes falling prey to this fact that, you know, I open my drawer of lenses and and I can't decide, and I and, and and it and it hinders my photography in some ways. That if I didn't have that arsenal, um, maybe I'd do differently. And I've talked to a bunch of photographers who, you know, uh, oh horror of horrors, use a fixed lens camera and you know do professional photography with a fixed lens camera because again those limitations uh, help the help their art and the fact that they're limited to one focal length, one camera. Um, they're always, they always have it with them. They know that camera backwards and forwards. The camera and the lens practically disappear. They don't even have to have the camera up uh, to their eye to see the way that camera would see because they're always using the same focal length. Um, and, you know, that's one approach of doing things. I still love my lenses and I still keep many, many lenses um, because I like the choice, um, but I think if I buy, you know, another 20 or 30 lenses, I will reach that analysis paralysis uh, situation. But I do think technology always impacts what you do. Hmm. I, yeah, it, it's sorry. a, it, yeah, this, this thing about too many lenses um, is, is it, I, I totally agree with what you've um well, it's all you've done two sides of the the story there, haven't you? Um, I mean, certainly when I'm doing more with large format at the moment, and I don't have many lenses, but I have a very clear idea that I just—it's more about the focal lengths, and I just want to make sure that I've got focal lengths covered, rather than do I want this particular kind of lens over another? Although no doubt that might come at a at a later date. Um, but with the the lenses that I adapt. Uh, to to digital, I've I've I have actually started to reduce uh, the collection that you have if if you, if you like. When I'm realising that you know I've got a lens that I have two lenses which which will pretty much do more or less the same thing as each other. Um, whereas yeah, you know, there there are some lenses that I own which are so full of character in one way or another that. I know that be a time when a specific circumstance would lend itself to use that particular kind of lens. Alternatively, if I'm thinking, I fancy going out and doing some photography, I've got the time to do it, and I don't really know what to do, I might actually go to the lenses that I have, and they will say, well, if I take this lens, then I'm going to get, I, I, sh I will be best going out and looking for this kind of shot. And that in itself, I can find quite quite inspiring. So I think there's a for for me at least there's a there's a balance between too many and and not enough. But it's about making sure that what you have is distinctive enough that it justifies its place in the cupboard, if you like. 
Yeah, I think the moment it stops you from going out and taking pictures is the moment you've got too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Any, anything to add to that, Johnny? Uh, no, no. You guys, you guys said it really well. I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think one of the uh, places that I see this come up a lot is when people are. You know, I think we've seen the posts and the groups that we're in. I'm going on vacation. What should I take? And, you know, you want to take like everything you own because you'll have time <laughs> to play with it all. And then you'll have you'll have so much stuff with you. You won't be able to even like extract anything out of your bag because it's so packed. Um, so, <laughs> so, no, I, th- I, th- I think I think you guys said it well. It is like too many choices can be definitely not be a good thing. <laughs> And it's part of what actually, and I'm going to agree with you here, Johnny, is part of what what makes the beauty of shooting film is that when you shoot digital, you have this ability to just click, 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 and and take as many photos as you want, and therefore yeah. you're you're kind of uh, you're you're less choosy about what you're going to shoot, and then when you get back home, you have thousands of photos that you have to select from, and the differences from one to the other shot of the same thing from the same uh, position or just like so minuscule that you're like, is this one better? No, maybe it's this one. No, I think that one's slightly sharper. And then you're like, ah, forget it. You don't even look at them again. Don't even post them. Don't do anything with them. Um, That that can also be a problem as well. So technology is, is affecting you in subtle ways that you didn't even realize all the time. I'm yeah, just, I'm just thinking lens, lens choice is 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 not something that, that hinders me too much, but camera choice certainly does. Um, and I'm t- in particular now I'm talking about uh, film cameras because at the end of the day I've got one main digital camera and I can use just about any lens I feel like. But film cameras, I've got quite a lot of film cameras. I, I have too many film cameras. I've realised that, that that recently. And it's a case of, well, do I want to take a, a 35mm camera? A full, uh, a, do I want to go 6x6? Do I want to go uh, large format or whatever? And then I'll be there thinking, well, which cameras have got film in them? And or, or <laughs> that, that camera's got film in it, but I don't really want to use that camera. But can I justify putting film in another camera when I've got film in that camera? And, <laughs> And, and and so on. So I, yeah, I find film cameras is you know it, it sometimes means I just don't go out with a film camera when I, you know, I wanted to. That was the whole idea of going out. Oh, I'm going to shoot something, right. and I take my Sony instead because I give up. I, I do. I do have this problem, and it it's it's more. Um, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. My problem is more that I have I have a lot of film cameras, but it's it's that I have a, a lot of different formats that I want to shoot. So, you know, by default, I'm carrying around a 35 millimeter rangefinder, you know, every day as a carry around camera. But then I've got, you know, six by six Roloflexes and I've got four by four TLRs and I've got pano cameras and I've got, you know, large format cameras and I've got, it's like, all right, well, what? and I got half frame camera and I want to shoot all of them and I never have enough time to shoot them all. And then if I'm going to go out of the house, I've got to find that camera and I've got to find all the little bits that go with it. And that, to me, that becomes the problematic thing. So I have to like, I have to like plan ahead for when I'm going to shoot specific formats so that I can actually make it happen. Otherwise, yeah, I end up, I'm like, I'll it. (laughs) And I leave and I leave the house with the same camera I always use. And I, I do pretty much use the same two or three cameras 90% of the time. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I think we need to get start to wind things down. Um, so first thing I want to do, just, just a quick bit of uh, housekeeping. And I uh, just want to thank those people who have donated to us uh, in the past seven days um, on coffee. That's ko-fi.com. And uh, it, it, it seems that Isabel's appearance um, has caused people to donate money to us. So thank, thank you again, <laughs> Isabel. Um, so I'm just going to read out the, um, uh, the, uh, the messages that we have. First one was from uh, Cheyenne Morrison, uh, who's... Uh, he seems to be apologising for not donating to us for a while there because he's saying here, you know, back at work at last. Um, so we're here with three more coffees, keep up the good work. Um, great, thank you for doing that, Cheyenne. You don't have to do it, you know, but uh, thank, thank, thank you all, all the same. So uh, we appreciate that. Um, Christopher J. May um, is also apologising for not donating to us. Um, uh, he's saying here, uh, it's been a while since I uh, last contributed over here. Uh, life have been, has been hectic uh, with wedding planning and preparing to move to Sissonland, uh, Chicago. Um, <laughs> and uh, also, also blame Simon for his other podcast, the LFPP. That's the large format photography podcast. Uh, it's all your fault, Simon. Um, uh, nevertheless, I still enjoy the CLP um, very much. Uh, have three coffees on me. Uh, yeah, uh, Christopher um, is uh, a, an avid listener uh, to the uh, large format photography podcast, and uh, yeah, we've got him out and actually going using large format. So, uh, so that's where he's been spending some of his time. But it's great, great that you've come back over here as well. So, uh, thanks, thanks for that, Christopher. Um, Nigel Cliff um, saying, that having fallen asleep listening on the train, I'll assume it was worth a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yes it was nigel and thank you um and then we got charles kirschenblatt i think um uh, thank you what an amazing podcast loved the isabel cuadez episode and so did we um and uh barry carr he's donated to us thank you very much and then we've got uh anon uh, is the last person that's um, donated to us. And uh, it says here, uh, here is some money for you to buy a bit more fine art Boca Kool-Aid. Seems that Isabel Cuadez had you drinking it all. And then not, then not, then JK, which I think means joking. Is that right, uh, Ricardo? JK, does that mean joking? Just, Just kidding. kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. That's it. I'm not saying that you're the person that's uh, anonymously donated, but who knows? You might be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, loved, loved the episode um, um, so cool what she does uh, with lenses and tilt shift so thank you Anon um, for uh, for your donation there um, so thank you very much and if like I say if you want to help us out and uh, doing things like uh, we have actually, actually I've, you know, as a result of coffee donations we have actually now bought uh, the cheap lens for Perry um, so we actually oh, have, have we? We, I didn't have, know that. Yeah, ah. we, we have it it's been it's been delivered um, and it's dirty um, and I'm not sending it back because I got it at a good price so I'm just going to fix it instead um, but it looks beautiful um, actually it looks unmarked um, and but it's just got some weird dust in it so I'm gonna I'm gonna get that ah, uh, taken funny. taken to um, uh, to John to uh, John Machin to fix for us and uh, make that sweet and then eventually we'll get that sent over to Hong Kong and uh, for Perry to love and then we're going to find some way of giving it away to our listeners so uh, so yeah so thanks thanks for that um, and uh, that's pretty much it for have we got any shout outs uh, do, do you want to do Johnny uh, you know I do and then I realize that my shout out little card note that I wrote on my business card and put in my pocket at 
work and then i took that card out of my pocket and put it by the computer to read my shout out i pulled the wrong card out of the wrong shirt pocket so that'll have to be till next week when i can go through all my shirt pockets okay i do have a shout out that's not happening yeah dogs eating your homework okay yeah exactly yes okay um so ricardo have you got any shout outs well, always to my uh, co-moderators on Best Vintage Lens, uh, Melissa at Petit Carnard, Ave at at at, at Ten Ninja, uh, Jason at Jason Sandagon TV. So uh, check them out. You'll have their links on our Best Vintage Lens uh, feed, and uh, also to my good friend uh, Ian Chatham at Sack of Soul, who was one of the people that got me into vintage lenses. So. Shout out to him. Excellent. Well, Ricardo, thanks for uh, dropping in with us and uh, and doing the show. It's 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 been it's been good fun, and uh, we've really appreciated your insight as well. So thank you again. Yeah, always a pleasure. Guys. Great, great having you back on, Ricardo. You're the best. <laughs> and um, uh, so, Johnny, how can people keep up with you? Uh, uh, you can follow me at. Um, at system photography at Instagram and you can get you can check in with me chat with me at Central Camera Company in Chicago uh, where you will find me at the used camera counter or somewhere thereabouts in the shop wandering around doing something that's cool and uh, what if uh, people want to get in touch with the show well you can send us an email you can email us at, at um, classic lenses podcast at gmail.com and of course you can follow the podcast at classiclensespodcast.com okay and and if anybody wants to go onto instagram say and post any interesting photographs taken with old lenses any any suggestions how they should do that uh yeah we have this instagram partner i believe it's uh uh best something uh <laughs> <laughs> oh wait uh best vintage lens on instagram and wait a second don't we have yeah <laughs> Ricardo, why, the, the why don't you tell us all, just real quick, tell us about how to catch up with every with with you and the, the crew at Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. I think the short answer is, why would you want to? Those people are just so annoying, always, always <laughs> like saying, saying mean things and, you know, like, the, who needs enemies when you got friends like that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, it's uh, at Best Vintage Lens. Send us your photos. Uh, we appreciate it and um, love what the Classic Lenses podcast does. It's really an inspiration to all of us. So thanks again to you guys. Well, th- thank you. And how, how can people keep up with your, your, your work in particular? So I'm on Instagram uh, at rbayon. Um, that's R-B-A-Y-O-N. Excellent. And one, one thing is uh, that I wanted to say to Perry, something about to Perry, is that um, he challenged me to take uh, decent street photos with an enlarger lens because he said that's just sticking <laughs> around with stupid old lenses. So I've done it. I'll post a couple of street sh- shots with, a, with an enlarger lens, and I have to say... Um, I was right and he was wrong, but then again, no surprise there. No surprise at all. <laughs> They're far too cheap and larger lenses. That's that's the problem with them, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Well, uh, and from me, uh, I have a website uh, which is SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk, where I've got lots of FICAS adapters on there. Um, although they're dwindling now because there is going to be a new range of adapters coming out soon that is less offensive to certain people in certain parts of the world. Um, 
<laughs> I hope. I hope it's got a better name anyway. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can also hear me, as we mentioned earlier, on the large format photography podcast with Andrew Barchman. That's what, that comes out every two weeks uh, or so. Um, we've talked about the email address. Uh, we're on... You can always... Actually, the three of us and, uh, and Perry as well, when he's around, uh, post in uh, the classic lenses podcast facebook group and also photography with classic lenses um and what else well so i'm on twitter as simon four i'm on uh what am i on i'm on i've got ebay is it's fuzzy and if you if you can't find that just go to the show notes so there's a link to where to find my ebay page with lots of lenses uh, Instagram, Simon Forster Photographic, and that's just about it. Uh, our music is by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. The music's called Octo Blue, so thank you very much again, Kevin, for that. And that's it now, so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>